What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Aliyah Distor is the owner, founder, and photographer at Alamond Studio. Aliyah is in love with people. She believes in the power of choosing yourself and fully showing up in life so you can accomplish the passions that set your heart on fire. Married to Raymond, co-founder of Alamond Studio, where they have three beautiful children, a sweet pup, and five chickens. Welcome, Aaliyah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, I had to add in those chickens part. <laughs> so, you know, you, I mean, I do know a lot of people locally, people not in this area might not appreciate how wildlife we can be here in Leesburg in this area. But do you raise the chickens and eat the eggs and all that good stuff? We eat the eggs, not the chickens, but yes. <laughs> Well, we have fox for those. So no, sorry. <laughs> you know, the other day I, I caught a raccoon trying to climb inside. The raccoon was more terrified of the chickens than the chicken oh. or the raccoon. So <laughs> it's a fun life out here. Yeah, we have wildlife cameras around and we have active foxes and we have just gangs of raccoons. They work in pairs and we can see them in action. So I can appreciate that issue. So I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying the wildlife. I wanted to ask you, as we record our chat today, in what we are hopefully in the waning days of COVID, a lot of small businesses have been decimated by the virus, but yours has expanded. And we keep seeing this. Some are just absolutely thriving in this environment. And that is so exciting to see. But photography, by definition, is an in-person gig. So how are you thriving so well at such a tumultuous time? First of all, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I forgot to say that I was so distracted by the chickens. <laughs> we're glad you're here. I know you're running from something as you always are. Yeah. So the way that I saw it when all of this started unfolding at the very beginning is that as a small business owner, you don't really have an option when there's parameters put around us as a small business owners, to me, I see that as a challenge, an exciting challenge to say, how do I do this in a way that is still safe, right? Because we're an in-person service type of business, but we're still able to keep our team intact mm -hmm. and our business together. So we didn't have to let go of anybody you know, we stayed busy. So, but to answer your question, you know, how we did it was we essentially went back and we're a photography studio. So instead of just thinking A to Z, bring people in, photograph them, and then sell their images or help them pick out their images, we said, who have we worked with previously? What images have they not purchased? Which ones might they be interested in? And we actually, through a Hail Mary there, went through anyone that we still had their photos, because a lot of times we'll get rid of the images that we don't, they don't end up using. And we brought in a solid two months of revenue 
just from that act alone of me going through. So a great small business lesson there. I just want to put a fine point on, go through your existing clients to see if there's more work there that's available that serves them and you. It's a great idea. Well, I want to know a little bit more about your origin story on the business, because while you call yourself a photography studio, that isn't all you are. You've expanded into a branding agency. So tell us about how you started and how you moved into this newer space. Yes. So we are getting ready this week to actually do more of a formal announcement that we have our branding agency because we started off as a photography studio and I'm all about like most small business owners I think are, is you see a need. How do we help fulfill that need? We see a problem. How do we fix it in a way that's more convenient, better serving the clients, really differentiating yourself. And what we realized is with photos and with videos, our clients, we would do photos and we would do videos for them, but they would pay a lot of money for this content. And then they had no idea how to actually use it. And so every month we would give them their photos, give them their videos, and we wouldn't see them out there on social media. And so we would ask them, hey, where's the struggle point? What can we help you with? And it was, I don't have time to figure out what to do with it. And then even when I sat there next to them to train them, they would say, thank you for that. I don't have time to actually post and engage now. And well, and then don't ask me to look at the analytics because I don't have time for that either. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's, you know, so many people offer branding, SEO, that kind of thing. How do you see the act of branding, the benefit of branding, and then who are some of the people that you're helping and what makes a great client? Yep. How we really positioned ourselves within the market is we really help people with the visual branding, not necessarily the logo design and the website design, but we're more of like results focused. So we say, okay, we're really good at creating these videos. Then what? So we have our position within our market of we help people work with the video content, especially right now. It's how people can connect. Like right wow. now where it's an audio only podcast, but we're still looking at each other because you can really connect with somebody when you can look at their face. And so we do that for our clients. And then in terms of like, you know, who we're able to truly serve, we focus on service-based companies. So where you would normally walk in or you would sit at a desk and see them, those mm -hmm. are the type of people that we've been able to get the results for in a quick manner. And then even in terms of like websites, while we don't do website design, uh, we create the whole back end because it's all, I know you know this, about nurturing those clients. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it just seems so endless. And it is, you know, we have our work and then marketing people have their work and we are not marketers. Almost by definition, I know that financial people can be sort of the people in their own way the most because we just assume that if you build it, they'll come. And marketing is just not what we do best, I think. So it's really nice to have people like you. And you did our video on the website, and it's gotten a great response. We still get comments about it. But you also take your own me 
medicine. And, and I think you use some really clever marketing. One campaign involved referrals. And I sent you some family members this past weekend based on this referral card that you did. It's so clever. What the audience can see is it's got my one of the headshots you did of me on the one side. So I get to put this picture that looks better than I usually do out in front of people. And on the back, you've got a code. I win if they take the referral and go see you. You win because you've got the client. And they win because everybody gets a $50 gift certificate to this amazing chocolate restaurant that we have <laughs> near our town. So I'm, I'm curious. I've been talking about this campaign to a lot of people, just how smart it is because you're using your product to get it out there and then you're awarding people in a really fun way. So how do you come up with your best ideas? I would like to say that they just like strike me, you know, out of nowhere. Lightning bolt, I can see like, it. But it never happens like that. What ends up happening is a version of it will strike me and then I'll bring it to my team. I truly believe that the best things come out of a team and I a hundred percent trust my team. And I know that whenever I serve something up, they'll take that and kind of rework it into something that I didn't even think of. And so like I come to it with one version, you know, I'm like, I think it would be great for this, this, and this. And then somebody will add this piece to it. And then another person adds this piece to it. And then we look at it and we're like, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. So it's a process. And an evolution, it sounds like. Yes, correct. And an evolution. That's perfect. So as a small business, I know we outsource a lot of what doesn't touch our clients directly because they don't want us spending our time that way. What does your business outsource and why is that good for your clients? We outsource a lot of our maintenance with the, our studios, we've got, you know, in-person studios. So making sure everything looks good and clean. Right. <laughs> so we have somebody else take care of that. We outsource our financials piece good. to make good. sure that the money is where it needs to be. And Aaliyah's not getting too excited on ordering more couches for the photo studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And invoices get paid, right? And invoices get paid, payroll happens, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I like to outsource the things that we don't, not even that we're not necessarily good at, because I think everybody can learn and figure things out, but it's more what's worth our time and energy. And a lot of it's like mental energy. I think especially for creative people, a lot of people don't think of the financial advisory business as creative, but we do. And certainly yours is creative all day long and switching between mediums, print photographs, and then your, your video parts and your branding. That's, that's a lot of creativity flying around. Exactly. Yeah. So you've received awards for your business. And today you now have other talented photographers working for you. I imagine this is a good trade for everybody because they get to do the work they love and excel at. And you provide the container or the business structure. You pay for all that. They get to come inside and everybody benefits. So how did you start to move that direction? It's funny because seven-ish years ago, I had a business coach because that's, I guess, technically another outsource piece, right, is the, the coaching elements. And she had said to me, Leah, you need to onboard some photographers so that you can focus on working on your business instead of like in the business. And I thought that tooth and nail. I was like, no, 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 no. Nobody else can do what I'm doing. Like only I can do this. <laughs> 
think I've spoken those words once or twice. Yes. Yeah. Right. It was like a slow process. It really had to, like, if somebody would have forced me to do it, it would not have been a comfortable thing for me. And while I believe in being comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's your business and I felt like I was the only one who could do this, it had to be like something that I came to terms with and it became my idea. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was just like little by little, I would, you know, onboard somebody and they would always need to learn the Alamond way. Because they were always talented photographers, but they would have to learn how to create it in a way that matched our brand. And Mm. so I would have to train them. And then it was when they would do it successfully, I was like, oh, I really don't have to be doing this. Like clients love the experience. Photographers got to learn. The business is growing. And so it was like this muscle that I had to like exercise it and see it could grow. For me to feel it's good fun to watch, yes. And just before we leave that topic, have the photographers that have come under roof, did they expand the kind of ph- photography you're taking or did they add to more headshots or how do they fit into the structure? Yeah, so right now we're really focusing on headshots and then expanding into family. And so when I say headshots, I also mean lifestyle images. It's not just head and shoulders. So when we onboard people, I'm looking for creative talent and good personalities. People have to be just good people and easy to be around. Everything else is trainable. They're adding to the headshot side of stuff as well as expanding into the families. One thing I think is interesting, I, I've noticed on your website, several people, I always thought I was alone in this. And, you know, like most people who don't say something out loud, it's very common, apparently, for all people not to like to have their picture taken. And I always feel bad for a photographer because I become suddenly shy and reserved and just not helpful because the light's shining on me and it makes me physically uncomfortable in that situation. But I noticed a whole bunch of people have said the same thing. So is that something you see all the time? All the time. Yeah. And actually, because I know that about my clients, I put it front and center within my website. I say it like in our language and our videos, Hey, like 97% of our clients hate getting their photos taken because right off the bat, the right person's going to say, well, I guess she's already understands what's going through my head. But yes, to answer your question, most of our clients, at least not most people, but most of our clients don't enjoy getting photos taken, which is why they come to us. Yeah. And I have to say, I've been several times now and it is extremely comfortable. First of all, you you chat people up enough. I, I kind of forget we're taking pictures. So that's a big relief. Well, you're also well known in the community for giving back. I have had the personal experience of calling you up on short notice to help me with a nonprofit issue. And not only have you shown up, I sometimes feel like the nonprofits have not shown up in the same way as you did, but that's a different conversation. But you never expect anything back. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about Loudon One. Yes. So Loudon One. Sorry, Loudon One. <laughs> it all Loudon starts one. with one. <laughs> that's a bar address, isn't it? But no, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so Ladder 100 actually started because a lot of the C-level executives that came into my studio, I call them like these secret like hidden heroes because they were the type of people that didn't want to shout out what they were doing, but they were just doing a whole bunch of really good deeds in the community. So basically the reason why I was like, I need to do this project is because there are other local events that is steered more towards 
people wanting to put themselves up on a platform to say, I am a good person. Look at me, look at me. And there's nothing wrong with that when you're tying it to a marketing and business standpoint. And I understand it. I wanted something completely different though. I was like, I want the people that are actually, they don't want to be up here, but they need to be because other people in the community need to see them being the good examples that we want our kids and ourselves to follow. Sure. And it will encourage more people to do those kinds of things. So how has the response been to all of that? Amazing. It's been so amazing. That whole planning stage, the strategy behind all of it is I don't want it to look, I don't want it to feel like a gala. I don't want it to, you know, so we've actually held them out at wineries. We've done it in a a airplane hangar (laughs) space, places that you wouldn't expect like an event to be held and focused all about community. Come as you are. You don't need to be dressed up for the Grammys. Is that the Grammys? Yeah. Something like that. You know, like nothing. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. We live in a community as probably many of our listeners do where there is a gala circuit and that is big money and fancy dress. And it's certainly a wonderful thing, but I do recognize yours is very different. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes it really interesting for our community. And it's really nice that you took it on to do that because those kinds of things are are the kind of projects that take time away from your business, but really add back. So thank you for all of that. You have something called your growth tribe. What is that? So technically it's my growth tribe because when you say it, you're saying... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually named it like that so that people will be like, oh, my growth tribe, because it's an identity. Now you're taking on an identity. So basically it's, we might, we meet monthly and the whole premise of this is once again, I feel like a lot of my things come out of like my dislike for something. I say, you know what? I'm going to create my own version of it the way I want to see it done. We are here spirits that way. I, I People hear sometimes what I say is negative and it's like, no, I'm just responding. I, I don't want that. I want this. Exactly. And it's not coming from a place of like anger, but more of a, let's do this differently because there's other people like me, I'm sure that would like it. And so it was like the networking circuit out there. And I said, I don't like the way networking is currently done. I want it done in a way where we're connecting over something that's gets to know really the person where people can walk in and they know exactly what to ask each other. That's not, hi, my name is Aaliyah. What do you do? And there's nothing wrong with knowing what people do because if you're coming from a service mindset, you want to figure out how you can actually help them. But what I had found with my own personal experience was it didn't feel that way. It felt more of a, you know, how can you help me? And if you're not somebody I can put within a category that can help me, then I'm going to move on to the next person. So that's really the premise of my growth tribe. We throw some marketing in there because I'm super passionate about marketing and everybody leaves with this. They came in as strangers, they leave us friends. And then I find out later the projects that they collaborate on, the different clients that they are able to refer back and forth. So it's a good win-win for everybody. Well, what you didn't describe there that I've personally experienced at my growth tribe is really great food, but also the minute you walk in, you have something to do. So you're picking up a name tag, you're going to see someone with the main name tag. And for someone who is shy, that's a wonderful way to start to a conversation. And then you're organized enough. So after people have their time together, they enjoy a meal. You're also bringing it all back together at the end. It's a clever way, I think, to organize a networking 
networking event and much more. It is different and it's a lot of fun. So even if I don't meet someone, but I've never had that experience, I always meet someone that I want to stay in contact with. But even if I didn't, I'd at least have a great time. So it's it's pretty neat. Thanks, Bonnie. Now you've got some new workshops. So talk about those because I love the workshop model. I think the value is in the workshop and it's really a great way to deliver stuff. What are you putting into those? So I love that you said that because during COVID, there was a period where it was like, well, I got to go online, I guess, because, you know, these are, that's the option that I have. And so I did actually, I, I did like online workshops. There is just something completely different about in-person versus online. I really, as much of an online person as I am, I really dislike the online connections with workshops. I love to be sitting next to somebody and be able to help them click that button, you know, like pointing, sitting there next to them. And so that's what we're doing is we're bringing those workshops back, even though I know there's some people that are still a little bit leery. We got a big studio space so we can still safely do it. And so what I'm putting within these workshops is social media, how to take social media and actually use it to grow your business. Because a lot of people, they know how to post on social media. They know how to connect with their friends, their family on social media, but they don't understand how to use this as a tool to pre-qualify clients and then how to create content that connects with them. That way they come into their world and start that relationship with them. So in that iteration of a workshop, I'm there because I want to learn how to do it. But mm -hmm. as an outsourcer, I wouldn't be that crowd. I would be the crowd that says, Aaliyah, do you actually do that? Can I just hire you to do that? So do you do that too? Yeah. And so actually the strategy behind that is I bring people in and they, a lot of times before somebody hires, because who we work with is a small business. Sure. It's not the mid-level. They don't have a huge marketing team. So they come in and they're saying, I need to learn this stuff because I got to figure it out because this is important. They come in, they learn, they understand that we really truly know what we're doing. We're not just telling you to post the pretty things on social, but more of the strategic stuff. Mm -hmm. And so then they say, this was great. I love it. I learned so much. I will not have the time to do this. Though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but now they understand why they're doing what they're doing when they hire you. Correct. And they understand the value and how much work this is going to take. So then they can say, I could either hire two people to do all of this full time, or I can hire Alamon agency for a set price that's going to do not just those two people's jobs, but all of it, because we've got a full team. So sure. yeah, the strategy behind it. Okay. Now, I think you're the only person we have interviewed during COVID that is, ha has expanded your commercial space. And you didn't just expand it a little, you went bang and really expanded it. So what's up with the beautiful new digs in Sterling? Tell us about that location and why you decided to do it during this time period. Hopefully, I'm assuming you got a, a fabulous deal. <laughs> I think it was a good deal. I don't know about fabulous. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because actually it stemmed from a last minute decision, which probably is a really stupid thing for an entrepreneur to say, sure. but it was me saying, okay, I have not been able to do X, Y, and Z within our studio space. Cause it's just been too small. It's a good size studio, but you know, you, we couldn't bring a full team in here to photograph. And so I, I was like, okay, I need, uh, this is the time right now is the time. Everybody else is shrinking. We need to expand ourselves. And I'm the type of person, when you put me within like a box, 
I love it because it gets me to start creatively thinking because I'm a very results oriented type of person. And so when I made the decision that we were going to get this studio, I announced it to my team before we actually got it because that would put the fire underneath my booty. Everyone gets excited. Yeah. I gets excited. And I was like, okay, we're going to make this happen. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks of me saying, we're going to get a second studio. We got that second studio. We got it at a price that was good. Didn't realize all the renovation that would need to happen. But nonetheless, we're there. We're doing it. We're now able to do multiple sessions at the same time. We're now creating video sets within the studio. We're having these workshops that can be 50 people workshops eventually when we're allowed to. So we're just setting ourselves up for success. And I'm so excited to be able to do that instead of saying in two years or in five years to be like, right now <laughs> we're doing it. But I think it's brilliant because so many people, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when we call around to different businesses, vendors, and even on a personal level, a lot of people are reporting they do not have the staff or capacity to do the work, which is just expanded your capacity beautifully. So I do think that's a crunch we're going to run into, and I'm, I'm already seeing it. So it's wonderful if someone wants photographs. And once you want a photograph, it's not like in general, it's not like you're going to wait months. It's that, okay, it's right now. My hair is looking good. I'm feeling good. Let's go do it. So I think that's really smart. You know, there's this funny part of Zoom life that I experienced. And when I came to you for my last headshot, this was my problem. I had an old one at a pretty different weight and uh, clothing style, actually. So I would get these audible gasps when I'd take off my picture and people would see me. And so we fixed that up beautifully. So I, I really appreciate that. But how often should people have their headshots redone realistically? So realistically, it really should be like when you look different, just exactly what you said. If you were to take your photo and hold it up and somebody says, hmm, you've changed a lot. And the reason for that is because what happens, and I know people might get a negative reaction to this, but you are sowing the seeds of distrust right from the start because you're not trying to manipulate somebody, but you're expecting this person to show up when somebody else shows up. It's like, oh, that doesn't even look like them. Not that it's a good or a bad reaction, but it's more of like they just didn't coincide there. What else is not the same, I think, is what's underlying that. It's a good point. Yes, yes. And the other thing I think is so interesting about headshots, because people say that, they say, okay, and I see a lot of journalists do this. I take my picture once, and I never take it again. And I also don't think of all the ways I can use it. So tell us some innovative ways people have used their headshots, and what the heck is pixie dust? <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of different ways you can use your headshot in terms of branding yourself, because I call it like the headshot is like the business card of your personal brand. It's the thing that people connect with or they're able to connect with if it's done properly before they physically or even digitally phone call, whatever, meet you. And so not just social media uploading you know, within the circle of what you look like. But then how do you take that photo and put it across your PR pieces, across your LinkedIn articles, on your blog posts? Because you're really selling, especially if you're in the services industry, you're selling the experience with you. And so you're not just selling your knowledge, you're not just selling your process, but it's that knowledge and that process specifically from Bonnie or specifically from Aaliyah. And so you don't want somebody else to say, oh, I also offer that. 
and the person, your audience be able to be like, oh, yes, they do. It's going to be like, but she's not Bonnie. I actually fall in love with Bonnie. And so you can even put on your business cards. I have them on all of our team's business cards when they pass them out. Because when you're in a networking event or when you're meeting somebody for the first time, you want people to be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's a good talking point because then you can even talk about, yeah, no, we like to stay on top of X, Y, and Z. We're different and you're proving you're different right there from that first interaction with them. I love that idea of being on the business card. I mean, the business card campaign you did, my brain never even, this is the lack of a marketing brain, my brain never even went to, I should have my business cards like that. I'll be talking to you about that. Well, tell us about Pixie Dust because everyone that gets their headshot done loves the photos right after and then they go, but she's going to use her Pixie Dust. Yes. Okay. So at Alamo Studio, we don't actually Photoshop any of our headshots, which is like crazy, right? We actually have this little bag that I hide underneath my desk. I cannot show you because it is hidden and it's full of pixie dust. I take this pixie dust and I just kind of, you know, throw it across the photo and then instantly it still looks like you just on your very, very best day. So this pixie dust will take away fine lines, but not erase them. We don't want to like look like the Barbie doll version of ourselves. We want to look like us just on the, the best possible day. I have earned every one of these. That's right. Now, as a busy working mom, business owner, wife, daughter, who's in your support system? Honestly, my family. My dad, actually, when I bought my dream home, I made sure that there was a second property on the space that I could move my dad into. Oh, nice. Yeah. So as much as I want to be like, oh, we support my dad, he kind of supports me still, too, in that he helps with family. My mom is still, thank God, you know, as active as ever and like helping take care of the kids. And then my husband truly, he helps within the business, but he's also the go-to in making sure that our kids are taken care of, household is taken care of. So it's definitely not like a super mom thing. It takes an entire village. Yeah, I I would imagine it certainly did for me. And a lot of years I didn't have that village. So I love it that you have such a supportive husband. Um, We always say choosing a partner is a financial decision. And you clearly chose very well in terms of he's there for you while you grow this amazing business. And now he's part of it. That's I love that. So switching gears a little, we think many, if not most of the conversations, in fact, we have this thought experiment, if you just eavesdrop for about a week politely, you'll start to hear a whole bunch of conversations that come back to some version of money. It's just really interesting to me. But I also want to tie this back to small business, because I feel like the PPP loan was the first time a lot of small businesses actually had access to capital that they desperately benefited from. So while the rest of the world might see that whole thing a little differently, from our perspective, some people finally got some blood and it made a big difference in their lives. Have you found it difficult to get capital or if capital hasn't been an issue, has there been a business financial issue that you've just found troublesome or annoying or or you've solved? So I've always been in the mindset of try not to borrow money, if at all possible, when it comes to growing a business. So I've never necessarily ran into that issue because I'm more of like, we've got this platform as a small business owner to create whatever technically we dream of. We're able to do that. I was able to take advantage of the PPP loan, which is amazing. And I was so grateful for that. 
so that I was able to take advantage of. And then in terms of like future growth, I'm trying to set myself up that if I ever did need to take advantage of that, I want to make sure that all my ducks are in a row so that, you know, as I'm thinking about expansion now, how do I make sure that, and then also after this pandemic, I think it also put all of the small business owners in a position of, wow, that's all it took to almost take us out. Right. Well, I think that when we think about capital, think about the great big companies, you know, even Amazon for many years ran losses. How did they live through those losses? They had capital underneath their wings. That's how anybody does it. And to tell small businesses they should be left out of that equation when we often are. It's just a compelling thing to see how what a difference it can make if you get some relief. So I I, I appreciate you sharing that. When did you first become aware of money in your life? And do you wish you'd been taught about money as you were growing up if it wasn't part of your family conversations? So my dad was a used car salesman, which is such a, where our background, you know, he's Arab and it was such a stereotype. It is still like a stereotype. So I got to, (laughs) like the used car salesman, but I got to see from an early age and it wasn't necessarily about money, but about creating whatever opportunities. Anytime he wanted to travel to the Middle East as he'd take the whole family. I remember overhearing conversations of, you know, can we, not necessarily younger, but in my teens, like, can we afford this? Is this something we should be doing right now? And my dad always had this attitude of, I'll make it happen. Don't worry, I'll make it happen. I know how to make it happen. Don't stress about that. Money is not something we should be stressing about. So I do wish though, within the, I say within school, I wish they would have taught us, but I'm actually happy they didn't teach us within school because I think a lot of things that are taught come in through a filter of somebody else's filter of how to think about money. So if I was ever taught about money or as I'm teaching my kids now about money, I teach it in the way that I would have wanted to be taught as like money is a resource, like you said, to be able to support the freedoms that you want, support the lifestyle that you want. And it should be viewed in a way of how do we not think of money as an evil thing? Because it's not. And I feel like that's a lot of the conversations out there is if we talk about money, then you're greedy or you're you're this, this or that. And I'm like, people aren't happy. Have you ever heard that one? I know a lot of happy rich people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that one's true. <laughs> no, it's like money just allows you to have the freedom if that's what you want. Or it allows me to be able to support my father or support the nonprofits that I want to support. Yes. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that's really interesting. And with your children, you sound like you're integrating the idea of money into daily life. For me, that feels like the most, because I grew up with a single mom and she always was telling us in a wealthy community how we couldn't do the same things as our friends because the money wasn't there. And it wasn't like boo-hoo. It was like, here's your reality, deal with it, find a way out of it, start working. And you do come to those lessons without a lot of judgment. And as you can imagine, in our work, people overlay a lot of things on money. They overlay deities, they overlay their childhood, they overlay all sorts of things. And what we're always trying to pull back on the layers is, Money doesn't know or care who owns it. It's just a tool. And if we can teach children that integration of where are we today? Look around who's working. We're here enjoying this, but look around at the people working. What are they going to do with the money? They. I mean, it's just so many easy opportunities to keep that conversation going. So I'm thrilled to hear that you had the experience of a go-getter dad who said, don't worry about money. Don't make money that scary thing. And then you're helping your kids do that. That's really neat. 
And even like just to touch, even not just the kids, but even within my team, I'll hear a lot of times just conversations. They'll say, yeah, that's nice if I could afford that, or I'll never be able to afford that. Or, and so now I've been just making it, a, and they'll know if I'm around, they'll immediately be like, once I make that a priority and decide I want to, you know, like just changing the language that we use, because I feel like that's a big thing as well as we feel like, you know, money is this thing that controls us, but to be like, no, 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 we can control our money if we're doing it in a way that is smart, as you know, and we're prioritizing what we want versus the things that aren't important to us. So that is our entire message. What do you want? When do you want it? What are you going to put towards it? And stop, you know, buying what everyone's selling you that you're supposed to want. So you just described exactly what I'm talking about when you listen to those conversations, how often it comes back to money. So if you ever want to lunch and learn, let me know. We'll be happy to put some more ideas in their head. But finally, I think we're all more conscious of our limited time here after living with COVID, I think longer than any of us wanted to. What story can you share with our listeners about how you, Aliyah, know that this is not a dress rehearsal? For me, it's not just a recent COVID thing, but seeing my father, he's had multiple heart attacks growing up. And each time it would kind of strike me as what you just said. It's now or never. You've got to live your best life. You've got to be grateful for everything around you. Uh, Make conscious decisions. Control your life in a way that it's not controlling you. And just being very aware that all of these things matter. All of your decisions matter. The people in your life, like how do you make sure that you're keeping the right people in your life? You're doing the things. Don't wait till someday. Someday might not come around. So for me, it's not just been a pandemic thing. It has been since I've been a teenager, just being aware that none of this is a dress rehearsal. We've got one life to live and whatever you dream of, you can achieve as cliche as that sounds. If you want to see it happen, you've just got to put the right, lay the foundation, create those right steps and make it happen because you can do it. You know, your story reminds me of something that I think parents sometimes forget where as parents, we hate to not shield our children when something bad is coming their way. And of course, we're not talking about safety or health. Those would be the highest goals. But when something just doesn't go their way, we always want to shield them. And I think part of what you just shared is some of these experiences that happened outside your control as a child are the fire in you. And that's the reason that almost no matter how much success you have, you will always have a fire burning because of those early experiences. So maybe trouble isn't so bad. Yeah, exactly. I love the way you put that. I agree. Well, thank you, Aaliyah, for your time, your insights, and your wisdom. We wish you continued great health, happiness, and success. If you'd like to learn more about Aaliyah and the work she's doing helping others and in her photography, go to alamondphotography.com. That's alamondphotography.com. Thank you, Aaliyah. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me. And thank you for creating this whole podcast to help other women and people around the world. Our pleasure. This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. 
We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.